morning. Thank you very much, musicians. Thank you, Ferlene. Ferlene, I have to, when you sing, I have to close my eyes because if I look at you while you're singing, I focus on that amazing talent that God has given you. And that's not, where are you, Ferlene? Over there. That's not your problem. That's my problem. I have to listen to the words. I, I just, it's something that happens like when I, I love R&B music. I know. I know what you're thinking. But I love R&B music. I saw the guy across the street last night as I was working on my, on my flip top bench top. I saw the guy across the street. He's an older gentleman. Look over at me as I was listening to the SOS band. And he looked over at me like, he was smoking a cigar like, what you know about that? And um, I, I, one of my favorite songs, um, the, the, the girl, I don't know her name, but uh, she says, in it, you know, I don't care about the other girls, just be good to me. And she's telling the man throughout the song that uh, he can have all the girls he wants, but she's the real one. And I'm just singing it, you know, I love it. And I, I go into the high falsetto. People always talking about, you know, I try and do it. And I'm, and I'm just jamming out there and I'm working and I'm, I'm not paying attention to the words because I'm so caught up in the song and I'm so caught up in the, the talent. And it dawns on me like, oh my gosh, what am I singing? I'm singing something I would never preach. I would never do in my premarital counselor, listen, don't worry about the other girls that he's with. Just be good to her. I would never teach that. And so I have to, I have to catch myself all the time. And, and Ferlene, you've been given a, a real talent. And I have to close my eyes as I hear you sing. It was, uh, you're using your gift to minister this morning. So thank you for that. And I was, I was actually praying and now I'm going to tell them, I'm going to tell everybody now that it's our responsibility to make sure that we help young people in our church. Um, God's given you money. Um, some of these young people will need their help uh, in the future. And I just, I know that I wouldn't be where I am today if it weren't for the many people in this church who have just helped me financially, have helped me and supported me and my family. And so I just uh, ask that you do the same for the next generation. They're great kids. They're trying to serve the Lord. Now give them money. <laughs> if you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 2. And we're going to focus on verse 20. Galatians 2, and we're going to focus on verse 20. Some of you are still turning. You guys need to be faster with this. We used to do what are called sword drills. Remember those? And they'd say, your, your Sunday school teacher, you know, this, is, this was cool back in the day. They'd say, John 1-1, one, one, and you'd have to find John 1-1 one, one and the first to find it. I actually am quicker at finding a verse in my Bible than on my iPhone. Inevitably, I'm on my iPhone, and I see a little advertisement pop up, and I'm like, I do want that wooden watch. Here we go. 
Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's pray. Father, it is a difficult thing for fallen man to continually grasp the meaning of the gospel. And we need your help by the power of the Spirit working in us through the reading of the Word of God, through the preaching of the Word of God, through the fellowship of brothers and sisters in the church, to constantly be reminded of the sweet truth that we learned when we were children, that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Lord, it is my prayer that all of us who are here this morning, that you will give us ears to hear and a heart that is willing and ready to receive the message and that this message will produce real fruit in our lives. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we just came out of the season of baking. The season of baking. Everybody, every time I looked up, somebody was handing me another cookie. Kathleen, at the end of Christmas Day, showed up with more confectionery cookies, which I was compelled to eat. And I ate. But baking... You may not know this if you weren't baking over the holidays. Baking is a very precise form of cooking. It's not like when your, your uh, mom sits around the stove and she tells you, you know, just throw a little dash of salt in here and just that, and she never gives you precise measurements. She's been cooking for a long time and standing at the stove, and she knows exactly how to season the pot. Nana, for instance, my mother-in-law, she is an amazing cook, and she's tried to give me uh, recipes to cook, and it never comes out the same. I, one night, I couldn't even boil corn, and she told me, oh, just do it this way. Her corn is so good. It's so soft. It's so savory, so sweet, a little bit of salt. Don't even need butter on it, and I did it, and I had to throw it away. It was just terrible, but cooking is it has different types of, there's different types of preparation, and baking is one of the hardest things you can do. You have to be very precise. You have to follow the recipe. Too much flour, too little eggs, too long in the oven, and the cake that was supposed to be that three-tiered Mad Hatter-style confection ends up being a leaning tower of junk. The recipe has to be followed precisely when you're baking, precisely. You might even have to get down and look. I was reading one recipe where the woman said, cups, in America, we measure things by cups, and you need to follow a European system in baking because it's more precise. The major baker right here is shaking her head, yes. So you've got to be precise, and you'll see people who are baking, they get down and they look to make sure that that flour is right at the level it needs to be. It is just that precise. And... Christianity is like baking, in that the precision in the message and the precision in the doctrine is essential 
to produce true disciples for Christ. In Galatia, that is the area where several churches that Paul had started and preached to early on in his missions, where he's now writing to, in Galatia there was a very simple, even seemingly sensible accretion, which is an addition, small addition, that was added to the gospel of salvation by grace through faith. There was a certain group of Jewish Christians who had come into the Gentile churches in Galatia teaching Christians that if one wanted to be in the covenant community, um, another way of describing that is if one wanted to be a true Christian, that they had to observe the law codes of the old covenant. In particular... The Galatian Christian or the Galatian Jews were teaching these new Gentile Christians that they had to be circumcised and that they had to observe dietary laws of the Old Covenant. And there are some Christian sects today that still teach that. And I use the word Christian in quotes. And you'll see why in just a moment. They were simply saying that yes, Christ died on the cross and was crucified for you. But there's still more that has to be done in order, in order for you to be truly saved. They were just adding just a, a little teeny thing. And the essence of what they were saying was that the gospel message was all well and good, but that there was still just a little bit more that needed to be done if you really wanted to get to heaven. We do this sometimes in our churches today. We have dress codes. We have eating codes. Some quote-unquote churches teach that you have to be, you have to be stationary. You cannot be working, cannot be uh, 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 going to uh, anything outside of the church except for uh, on this one day, Friday night to Saturday night, sundown Friday, sundown, sundown Saturday. And they observe the Sabbath and they teach that unless you observe that Sabbath, that you're not really a Christian, that you're sinning. They even teach their people to not eat certain foods like uh, shellfish or ham or any kind of pork product. I'd be in trouble. I knew that wasn't the church for me because I love bacon. Some of you are like, I can tell. Um, other churches teach that you have to, a real Christian has to show that they're really saved by speaking in tongues. Many of you, I'm sure, have heard that living here in South Florida. That, that real Christians, the real Christians, they speak in tongues. 
Or a more subtle one is, you, you hear this sometimes, pastors will say, if you don't remember your Damascus Road experience, you're not a Christian. Now, what is essential for being saved is my memory. I don't remember what I had for dinner last night, let alone exactly how I was led to Christ. Other churches tell us that we have to wear some churches. I know of this because some of my family members used to go to these churches and just to annoy them. But they teach that women cannot wear pants to these churches. That true Christian women don't wear pants. Or that you don't go to movies. Or that you don't drink alcohol. Or that you don't listen to secular music. And there are all these little things that are added on to the gospel. But adding anything to the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is destructive to the whole thing. Now I want you to understand... The analogy that I gave with baking this morning. If you're going to bake peanut butter chocolate chip cookies, you don't get to decide how long those cookies bake for according to your desire. You don't get to add more eggs than the recipe calls for. You don't get to take away less eggs than the recipe calls for. You don't get to put more flour in, take more flour out. If you do not follow the directions, you spoil the whole confection. It's Now listen, because I just caught my stride. It is destroys the whole thing. It is, at that point, useless. Paul says it very seriously throughout this letter. He says in Galatians chapter 5, verses 2 and 4, look, says look, in other words, heed this, says Watch what I'm about to say. I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. You are, listen, severed from Christ. Do you, do you know what, let me, let me use the word sever the way that, that's been used here. Like the way the head is severed from the body. You know what happens when the head is severed from the body? Your body runs around and lives for a little while? No, that's chickens. But when the head is severed from the body, you die. You're dead. Paul says you're severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, that means you want to make God, justified means you're right with God. You're in a pleasing relationship. You can, you are part of the kingdom and God, his wrath is not on you. He says, you who want to be justified by the law, you have fallen away, same word, not the same word, but 
Severed, same idea. You are severed from the gospel. In other words, you're not a Christian. So you're saying, Pastor, that if I take the gospel and I add to it, I'm trying to add to it. If, if God says you're saved by grace, I'm going to add to it. I want to make sure you have to wear pants to church. If I add to it, God says I lose the whole gospel? Yes. But it's not good to drink. It's not good to smoke cigarettes. Women, women should dress feminine. Men should not be going to certain types of movies. It seems good to dress certain ways. Yes, yes, you are right in everything you said. You're right. It's just that those things are not essential for salvation. You're right. Yeah, don't, don't go today and be a flabby glutton and drunkard. That, that's foolish. But don't tell someone who is the glutton and drunkard that they first have to be not a glutton and drunkard before they can be pleasing to God. The simple truth that we all learn when we were children is the truth that needs to we need to be reminded of daily, moment by moment. Jesus loves me. Don't focus on your love for Jesus. You'll never love Jesus the way he loves you. Never. But it is his love for you that empowers you to live each day. Paul goes on, he says in Galatians 1, 8 and 9, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be a curse. That means let him go to hell forever. Paul is saying that angels who show up in your bedroom and tell you a message that contradicts the word of God, that those angels should be eternally thrown into hell. It is the one place where the Bible gets very close to saying, go to hell. Now I want you to understand this. Paul says, I don't care if an angel were to show up in your bedroom. That would be magnificent, by the way. I mean, who of you would not be caught off guard if you were just laying in your bed watching Netflix on your cell phone and all of a sudden the glory of a celestial being just popped up, you would listen to what that being had to say. Wouldn't you? I, I would. Paul says, uh-uh. The message, not the messenger, is what doesn't change. It is the message that gives life, not the messenger. Don't be caught up in supernatural experience. Don't be caught up with gifted preachers. Don't be caught up with the, pre the, the presentation. It is the message. And Paul says, if, 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 if I, even, Paul says, even if I come to you, in, in other words, if I, your pastor, Andrew Summers, were to show up sometime later telling you something different than the gospel I'm preaching today, do not believe me, and I should go to hell. Take the message with me. It is that serious. It's very serious. 
Paul says, as I have said before, so I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. Paul himself even uses a baking analogy. So if you think that was just some kind of little trick, Paul uses the baking analogy too. He says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Just a little bit of falsehood, it ruins the whole gospel. And, and it's, as dad used to say, it's the little foxes that spoil the vines. He used to tell me that all the time. It's the little things. Dr. Tim Keller sums up the deadly heresy of the Galatians well. He says, Christ plus anything else as a requirement for full acceptance, acceptance by God is a whole different way of relating to God. And Paul says earlier in the passage, there is only one way. He says, the men who are telling you that you have to do these things plus have faith, they are preaching a different gospel. And then he says in a parenthesis, not that there is another gospel. There's only one. There's only one. There is only one gospel according to Paul. And to add anything, to add social justice to the gospel, to add worship restrictions to the gospel, to add dress codes to the gospel, to add political affiliation to the gospel, to add race to the gospel, to add wealth or social status to the gospel, to add denomination to the gospel, to add Bible translations to the gospel or whatever you can possibly think of to add anything to the gospel at all destroys it completely. My purpose for preaching this sermon today is to urge you not to add anything to the gospel of salvation by grace through faith in Christ Jesus alone. Dr. Moeller said several years ago, he put it like this. He said, don't just do something, stand there. Don't just do something, stand there. You've heard the phrase before, don't just stand there, do something. And that's what a lot of churches are telling Christians today. You got saved? Don't just stand there. Do something. Be about something. Do something meaningful. And unless you're doing something meaningful for God, you're not saved. And the, what, what, what that meaningful is, it could be, it, it changes from church to church. A.T. Robertson, the Greek scholar, a world-renowned Greek scholar at Southern Seminary, went overseas to preach and to minister to the Southern Baptist missionaries who had been sent abroad. These men and their wives were going abroad. They were doing a great thing. They were leaving the convenience of Western civilization, Western technology, first world benefits and blessings to go into the third world and to live in the harsh conditions of the jungles, to live in the harsh conditions of persecution. They were setting slaves free. 
They were feeding the hungry. They were healing the sick. These men and women were really doing something. A.T. Robertson got back and said, those men and women are not Christians. What? If ever there's a Christian, it's the missionary who forsakes his life in this world and moves on to the harder world. But Robertson noted something about their message. It wasn't the gospel anymore. It wasn't the precision of the message. In other words, Robertson, to use my baking analogy, went over to look for oatmeal, raisin cookies, and what he found was steak. You say, but steak's good too. Steak is wonderful. But are you making steak? Or are you making oatmeal raisin cookies? If you want to make oatmeal raisin cookies, you don't go and buy T-bone steak. And when he went over there, he found that the message that they were preaching was how to be healthy, how to be sexually uh, uh, healthy, to, to be sexually safe. They were feeding people, and all of those things are good. I am not saying don't do those things. I'm saying that those things aren't the gospel. That's all I'm saying. And it is so subtle to think that they are. Well, if we were a real Christian church, this neighborhood would be different. This neighborhood would go to hell just the same way it does today. Because it is the spirit that gives life through the preaching of the word. This neighborhood will change when God's spirit is moved through the preaching of the word. The preaching of the word happens every week right here. You say, we got to go out into the community. What are you talking about? That community knows we're open. You think that if we go stand on the corner, fine, go stand on the corner. Not saying you shouldn't do it. I'm just saying stop excusing, stop blaming the church for the problems in society. Jesus said something that would completely hair-lip the queen today in our social justice gospel. He said something. He said, the poor you're going to always have with you. Always? Always. You say, so we shouldn't care about the poor? No, care about the poor! Of course! Well, why do you even need to ask me? Do you have money? Do you, do you have a McDonald's gift card? Give it to the poor person so that they can eat. Go through the drive-thru, buy them a hamburger, and give it to them. Understand, though, you fed them. You didn't lead them to Christ. Should you dress right? Yeah. Should some of us change the way we dress? Should we look more professional? Should we be less seductive? Yeah. Should we eat better, drink less? Yeah. Just not the gospel. Don't just do something. Stand there. Stand where? Stand on the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You know what I'm doing today? I'm calling the Christian back. Come back. And stand 
My dad used to say to me when I was running around, son, just go sit down somewhere. I'm kind of telling you that right now. You're running around and you don't even know what you're doing. And actually in the process, you're breaking things. Stand there in the gospel. Now don't get ahead of me because I know what you're thinking. But don't get ahead of me because I'm going to exegete this passage right now. This is the new year, and as it approaches, I want you to consider once again the beautifully simple truth that was once the truth that wooed you to Christ. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. See, but I want to hear a sermon on how to lose weight. Listen, do you want to hear that sermon from me? Huh? You see me? You, 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 some of you, some of you, Susan, Susan's loving this right now. What are you going to do, fire me? Susan hates when I do this. You see me pulling my pants up right here? Do you know why I'm doing that? Because the fatter you get, the lower your pants sink. That is the truth. These pants used to fit me. I could walk around. And now the fatter I get, this right here. It's just it, every action has an opposite and equal reaction. Go out, push down. It's not that hard. You want to learn how to get skinny from me? You're at the wrong place. Go to Jenny Craig or Weight Watchers. They know way better. That's not what we're doing today. I want you, as a Christian, this year, 2019, don't just do something. Stand there. Stand where? In the gospel. Let's look at our passage. The first thing I want you to see from the passage is that Christ's crucifixion is our crucifixion. Paul says in verse 20 of chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ. Uh, unlike English, now I don't normally do this, but I have to do it, okay? Because we, we miss it if I don't do this. But unlike English, Greek verb tenses are not concerned with time. My professor of Greek used to say, when you hear verb tense in the Greek, think time. And he used to say like a little mouse, time, because it's not the focus of a Greek verb tense. Tense means time. The focus is what's called verbal aspect in the Greek. And it is the view, says David Allen Black, Greek scholar, that the action that the speaker, or in our case the author, chooses to present to you, the reader. He wants you to understand what's going on. And he uses a tense of verb called the perfect tense. And the perfect tense works this way. It is not simply stating a fact of history. So the perfect tense is a past tense, but it's not simply stating a fact of history. It is stating... A fact of history that has produced real results in the present. It is a past completed action that produces real results in the present. You ought to look at the baby in the manger and go, what does that mean about me? You ought to look at the Christ on the cross and say, what does that mean about me? What did that produce in me? Because that's what Paul is saying here. I have been crucified with Christ. Christ was crucified in the past. Yes, we know that. We know the history. What does it mean for you today? How is it, what is it doing in your life? How is that truth being lived out by you? 
today. In other words, the whole Christian life, uh, excuse me, let me read this here. The emphasis of the perfect tense is that the past completed action has presuded the present state of affairs, namely that we're justified. What was the crucifixion? It was where Christ died for us. But Paul is saying the Christian life that I live now, that I have lived, that I am now living, that I will live, the new heart, the mind of Christ, the leading of the Spirit, the promises of God, all are the result from the past completed reality of Christ's crucifixion. Everything we are in Christ, everything we are as Christians, comes from that historical reality of the crucifixion. But notice what Paul says. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. By faith, Christ's crucifixion was actually our crucifixion. Who's he talking about being crucified here? Is it Paul or Christ? It's both. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. What are you speaking of Christ? Crucifixion. How many of you think about that when you see Christ on the cross, that that was you on the cross if you have faith? That's where you were. All of the bad things that you've done in your life that think you, that think make you a bad person, which they do, all of that was punished on the cross. When Christ was crucified, by faith in him, you were crucified too. By faith. So that moment 2,000 years ago, if Christ wasn't crucified, then not only was Christ not crucified, you weren't crucified. But Christ was crucified. And those who by faith believe, they too were crucified. Christ's punishment for our sins was our punishment. His punishment was our punishment. What God required of us was met by Christ on the cross. And Paul says, I was crucified with him. By faith in that cross is viewed as every sin of the world on the cross. Every sin that had been committed, every sin that is being committed or was being committed, and every sin that will be committed or that would be committed, all of those sins by those who have faith in Christ's work on the cross, Christ died to those sins and so did you. All of them. Say, but what if I cuss when I'm going off the cliff and I die? Does that mean that I... People ask these questions all the time. That's such a silly question. What if I'm driving off the cliff and I say, oh, curse word, and I die? I sinned, right? Yeah, you you clean up your mouth, man. But God's not going to... Well, you on this technic... Come on! All of your sins were nailed to the cross. They're done. I have been crucified with Christ. Christ was crucified. My sins are crucified. All of them, all of them. 
What about the bad ones, the really bad ones? Yep, the really, really bad ones. What about the really, really, really bad ones? What about the bad ones that only I know about? What about the bad ones that would put me in jail? What about the fact that I right now, and I'm sure that it's probably happening in this very church house right now, what about me committing adultery? Huh? Drug addiction, alcoholism. Yeah, that's sin too. Every sin. For those who have faith in Christ. For I have been crucified with Christ. But Christ's crucifixion produces in us everything that God requires. The next thing Paul says is, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now the context in which these words are uttered is crucial. Context is the setting. Consider what the Galatians are being told to do. They're being told by certain Jews that if a person wants to be truly pleasing to God, that is, if a person wants to really be saved, that he or she must observe circumcision and the dietary law. Circumcision was only for the men. But the old covenant is not what saves us. In fact, Paul's concern is not even, in this passage, is not even, even concerned with being saved. He's not even concerned with that. Look at what he says. He says after that passage, I no longer, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. It's not necessarily a passage about salvation. The old covenant doesn't save us. And that's not even Paul's concern. Paul told the Corinthians that the message he preached was not the letter which kills, but the message he preached was of the spirit which gives life. Life now. Yes, salvation is a status with God, and we call that justification, but it is so much more. It is also the reality of life. New life. Life, the life that we live is now Christ's life living through us. That's what it says. The life that I now live, it is no longer I who live it, but Christ who lives it in me, through me. Paul says a little later on in the letter, Gives the Galatians a warning. If you're going to try and live by the letter of the old covenant, that is the law, you better keep everything perfectly. Because if you fail to keep the law, even in the minutia, it nullifies the whole thing. The old covenant, as understood by these certain Jews, was God's way of making his people holy. Giving them what they needed if they followed it. According to their interpretation of the Mosaic law, if a person met these conditions of holiness, i.e. they were circumcised, or they didn't eat pork, or they came to church every Sunday, that is that they obeyed the Sabbath, Sabbath isn't Sunday, you could on your own, on your very own, be made right with God, even a better Christian. But this is not the gospel of grace by faith. In Christ Jesus alone. Paul tells us that Christ's crucifixion produces in us 
everything that God requires for perfect holiness. It is no longer I, but Christ who lives in us. Thank God. Though we live, now listen, some of you are saying, well, wait a minute, if Christ lives in me, how come bad things happen? Listen, how come I'm still doing bad things? How come I still struggle with sin? How come I still feel guilty? Listen, listen to the gospel message. It is the glory of Christ Jesus that will forever outshine anything you do, either good or bad. His glory. The life I now live, I live by, it is Christ who lives in me. What does that mean? His glory is what outshines everything I do. What about the the good things that I do? God ain't looking at that. So when I gave $100 to, to that homeless man for Christmas, God didn't see that good deed. Yeah, he saw it, but do you want him to judge you on your deeds or do you want him to judge you on the crucifixion of Christ? I know where you're thinking. Don't get ahead of me. Trust me, I'm going to get there. I know where you are right now. But listen to what I'm saying. If you don't grasp that the gospel is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, you're going to miss the whole thing. You're going to nullify the whole Christian life. The gospel that saves you is Christ's holiness in us, infinitely outshining the very best of our best deeds, the very best of our best accomplishments, the very best of our best privileges. There's a little cult here in the city that teaches that you have to be black if you want to be saved. I always love when they tell me that. I'm like, well, why are you telling me? I don't know... (laughs) I don't know what you expect me to do about that. I like the SOS band. Does that mean I'm in? I mean, no. They're teaching that if you're born with a privilege of being black, skinned, that you're saved. That that's a lost tribe of Israel. Bogus. False. Christ saves black people the same way he saves white people. Paul says this, whatever gain I had. Now listen, Paul actually is talking about being born with all of the privilege and living out the, 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 the quote-unquote righteous life perfectly. He says this in Philippians. He had just got through saying that he was a Jew of Jews. He was born. You know, I get this question all the time. What about the Jews? Yeah, the Jews were privileged to be God's people. There were real privileges. Don't ever, you ought to look at the Jewish people and you ought to say, what a blessing and privilege God gave to you. The Messiah came through you. The Messiah came through you. The very oracles, the word of God came through you. Jesus, people, what color was Jesus? Who cares? He was Jewish. I know that. Amen. He was Jewish. Don't ask the question anymore. What color was he? I don't know. He was Jewish. If you've ever seen Jews, they range from Sammy Davis to my skin color. So who cares? He was born under the 
He was born of the tribe of David. He was born in Bethlehem. What a, what a privilege. Well, then that means, right, that they are saying, no! Because nothing gets added to the gospel. Nothing. Paul just said, I was born, I was circumcised on the eighth day, I was a Jew of Jews, I was born in the tribe of Benjamin, to the law, I was a Pharisee, I was perfect in everything I did. And then he says these words right here, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Listen, you who believes you have to be black to be saved... Or white to be saved? If you want to be saved, you better throw out skin color. And you better accept the Messiah. Indeed, Paul says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as, and he uses a curse word. He says, I count them as rubbish. That means trash, but the word actually means like dung. It's like the S word in English, but we're holier than Paul. So we say rubbish. It's rubbish. There were English people here last week when I was speaking in English. They weren't offended, thank God. Paul says, I counted as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through obedience to the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Think about what he's saying. He's saying if you really want to be saved, you got to throw away all the good deeds. You say, do you, are you saying not to do good deeds? No, I'm just saying they don't count for anything. Not for your salvation, at least. We have this idea that God's going to have this giant measuring justice table. Like the lady justice, she's blind and she's got the, the scale. Like God's going to have the scales and he's going to put... Oh, I remember that time he gave $1,000 to the church. Bink! But I also remember that time that you committed adultery. What God is going to do is say, I remember what my son did. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, it is Christ who lives in me. Christ's death produces our righteousness. Christ's death produces everything that God requires. But... Christ's crucifixion produces in us the possibility to be everything that God desires. Christ's crucifixion produces the possibility to be everything that God desires. You say, but I thought you just said that Christ's death fulfills everything that God requires. It does. It does. But Jesus still said, be holy. Be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. You say, God still wants me to be holy? Yes, even though you're saved by the gospel, God still wants you to be holy. But you say, I can't be holy. That's why the passage doesn't say, unless you are holy. 
it says go and be holy. And the word holy does not mean moral. It means godlike. You think God's calling you to be moral? God's calling you to be like him. Wow. Who do you think you are? You think you're God? Trying to be. The crucifixion produces in us the possibility of everything that God desires. Paul now says, and the life that I now live. Now, now the focus is back on him. And the life that I now live, the same life that Christ is living through, Paul, that life is lived by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's present life. His life after his commitment to follow Christ. His life after the Damascus Road experience. The life that he now lives is lived by faith in the Son of God. Somehow, Christians have come to the false understanding that the gospel is only for lost persons. That it is only for those who are beginning in the faith. This belief is demonstrated in an attitude of disappointment with one's faith. After the initial excitement of our conversion fades, a sense of disappointment sets in. We ask ourselves, and never out loud, of course, God forbid we, God forbid someone here that we have doubts and struggles in our life. Because when we come to church, we've got to put on an act. But we ask ourselves questions like, is there more to the Christian life than just the gospel? Or we say to ourselves, I know all that I need to know already about the gospel. I need to hear the church talk about something that matters for my life now. I'm struggling in my marriage. My business is failing. I just lost all my money in the stock market. Do I look like J.P. Morgan to you? Go be a better investor. But maybe it was that greed that got you in trouble. Maybe your marriage is failing because you're not a Christ-like husband. We assume that the gospel is old news. Rather than good news for today. We treat our salvation the same way we treat our marriages. Now that the celebration of the wedding is over, what more is there to my marriage? I hate weddings. I hate them the way we do them in America. I wish you would all get married. I wish you young couple who wants to get married would spend 15 months planning your marriage and not some stupid day. Now, that's no way to speak about a wedding, Pastor. I don't care. Why would you spend 13 months and thousands of dollars to give undercooked chicken to people you don't even like? As one comedian says, so that you can pretend to be a princess. I'd rather your marriage work out. I'd rather you spend 13 months 
with a marriage counselor. I'd rather you spend 13 months on your knees. Because that's what you're going to need. I'd rather you know the gospel of grace and forgiveness. Because if you don't forgive in your marriage, that bad boy is going to be over. Stop wasting your time planning a day that is here and gone. Don't do the same thing. Oh, God forbid it. Don't do the same thing with your salvation. People ask me all the time, why don't you do invitations? Man, I've seen them. I've seen them. You know how many times? I grew up in this church. I came down these very aisles. I laid at these very steps. I bent down on my knees. I've seen people come. I've seen them come. They walk down here, and this is their day. And they put their knees down here, and they come over to me. I want to get my life right. And then a week later, they're nowhere to be found. They don't love Jesus. They're back in the sins. Because we make it about a moment. But Paul says the life I now live today, after my experience, my Damascus trans, uh, 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 tr transformation, it's over. But today, the life I live, I live by faith in Christ Jesus. It's not about moments. It's about being sustained by the gospel. I heard a pastor saying once, there was this guy, he got saved and he came in. And all the Christians were doting all over him. Oh, yes, and crying. And the pastor pulled him in and he said, hey, listen, Bob, I don't know what this is. I hope it's saved. I hope you're saved. This was Mark Dever, by the way. He said, Bob, I hope you're saved. But we'll see. You say, now that's no attitude to have. Better that he tells the truth. The life I now live... I live by faith in Christ. That coming forward is not a get out of jail free card or get out of hell free card. But what are you doing today with the gospel? You say, I thought one saved always saved. Yeah, one saved still believing. And the verdict will be in when you are laying in this casket. That's where the caskets normally are. That's not a casket. But when you're laying in the casket, Paul said, I have fought the good fight. And what did he say next? I kept the faith. And I finished the course. Some of you aren't finishing the course. You're hanging on to a moment. You're miserable. You're not sure whether you're saved. And that's the Holy Spirit who's clenched so tightly around your heart, you shouldn't even be able to breathe. What are you doing with Christ today? Christ, Paul says, the life I now live is by faith. We're so disappointed to find out that the high that we had when we first came to Christ is now nothing more than the struggle of growth characterized by more and more failure. Is this your experience this morning? Are you still waiting for the thrill of another Damascus Road experience? Do you Have you made a commitment this year, a New Year's resolution to be in church more? Don't, listen, don't start there. 
I don't want you to come here and sit your butt in this pew and think you're going to heaven. I want you to love Christ and his church. I want you to love the gospel and forsake everything for him. Going to church will take care of itself at that point. Maybe you're looking for a first Damascus Road experience. Maybe you're someone who's sitting there right now and saying, I, I don't ever remember the moment that I was saved. I mean, I love Jesus. I read my Bible every day. I try to live like you're saved. Keep doing it. But I don't remember the day. Fine. Fine. That just means you're human. Do you know how many? Not everybody was saved on a Damascus Road experience. They just weren't. Jesus went over to Andrew and Philip. They were out fishing and he said, follow me. And they said, all right. They left their nets and followed him. He didn't make a bird pop into his hand. He didn't speak in tongues. He didn't turn water into wine. Not then. I bet you that would get you following Jesus. Hey, I know this guy. Every time he grabs water, we are drinking a Guinness. But I want to warn you this morning, do not chase feelings, but stand firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel informs everything that you do. It is the gospel that shapes your attitude. It is the gospel that shapes the way you view the world. It is the gospel that shames the way you live in your marriage, manage your money, the way you raise your children, the way you treat your spouses, and yes, even the way you drive. There isn't anything more that you need to live and to live this life well than to live by faith in the Son of God. Oh, here come the objections. I know what you're thinking. You're saying to yourself right now, how is the gospel going to help me get a job or fix injustice in the world or learn to take care of my family? Or maybe you just said to yourself, that's awfully simplistic, Pastor. We need more than the gospel to live the Christian life. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says that the life he now lives, that is his life as a missionary. That is his life as a tent maker. As a friend. As a messenger of the gospel. As a steward of the gospel. As a citizen of the Roman Empire. That life is entirely lived out by the gospel of faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not trying to say that Paul is teaching that all we need to know in life to survive is the gospel. We still need to know the address if we want to arrive at the correct destination. You still need to learn how, what forms to fill out in order to pay your taxes. What I'm arguing is that every single thing that we do in life, Every relationship that we have as father, mother, son, daughter, husband, wife, co-worker, citizen, friend. Every decision that we make, where we're going to live, who we're going to marry, if we should get married at all, whether or not we should eat McDonald's. Every part of our lives is encapsulated by the gospel of grace through faith in Christ alone. Be a plumber. But be sure that the world sees Christ in your work. Get married. But be sure that you submit to your husband as unto Christ. Or that you love your wife sacrificially, husbands, the way Christ loved the church. 
Is this the right person for me to marry? I don't know. I don't believe in a right person. I believe that the two of you are going to make a covenant. You keep it. Keep it. I don't think that boy's right for me. I don't think that boy's right for her. I don't think that girl's right for him. Stop. Are the two of you going to keep that covenant? Because you will be judged by God, those of you who don't keep it. Save for his grace. Don't forget that. Even in eating and drinking, give thanks to God. Remembering that everything that happens to us in this life, either good or bad, is momentary. But as the psalmist says, his love endures forever. I want to encourage you this year, new year, don't just do something. Stand there. Go get skinny. Go get rich. Make sure to tithe, but go get rich. Go get married. Go be single and go all over the world. Do all of those things. Move from here to there. Do it. God's not concerned with you being preoccupied about whether or not you should live here or there, go to that school or not. That's not God, God doesn't do that. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added unto you. But don't just do anything thinking that anything will be better or greater or more fulfilling than the simple gossip gospel message you learned when you were a child listen to me today christian it doesn't get any better in the church life than this jesus loves me this i know for the bible tells me so let's pray father let the gospel today in us let it show fruit let us be excited about your love for us today and let that love for us propel us to be husbands to be sons and daughters, to be uh, friends, to be church members. Let that message, let that remembrance, that all of, all of what you required was nailed to the cross of your son. And let that be what propels us to be holy, to go and be holy. Not because we have to, but because you've made it possible that we can. There is no more burden of the law. Thank you, Jesus. The life we live, we live by faith in you. Amen.